and welcome to episode one of Shen Music. I already, I already messed up. See, this no, it's is, perfect. This, this it's show's going to suck. Um, <laughs> <laughs> Chin Music, which is this show presented by Fangrass. My name's Kevin Goldstein. I'm a new national writer at Fangrass. Joining me for this episode. I can't tell you how thrilled I am about this. This was my, my number one draft pick for the first show. Uh, he is one of the, the co-founders of Defector Media, previously at Deadspin. You can find his stuff at all sorts of places. Uh, he writes about sports and politics. He's great on Twitter. He's great on podcasts. He's funny and clever. He's joining us from New York City. He's David Roth. David, how are you? I'm really good. I will struggle to live up to that, but that's it's all very nice. So thanks. <laughs> So, A, welcome to the show. If uh, Obviously, not even obviously, some of you may have never have, have no clue who I am. Um, but if you're coming from my previous world, I, I spent eight years with the Astros. Before that, I was in the media, and, and probably the best thing I did was a podcast that was quite well known. Um, this is not that show. I did that show with, with my dear friend Jason Parks. Jason works for the Diamondbacks now and is not available. Um, but you know, this is going to model after the last show in some ways, in the sense that it is about baseball, but not really. You know, there will, there will certainly be baseball content on every show. Um, if you're expecting a statistical breakdown of Fernando Tatis, you're not going to get it here. Um, not from Kevin, but I did it. David's I ran. I ran all the numbers. David's got a spreadsheet open. And, famous for. And, 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 you know, there are times, just like the priest, sometimes our guest might be Scott Boris, and sometimes our guest might be uh, a guy who lives in Alaska and traps hawks at the airport, like, which we did, which we had. Like, yeah. you, don't, you don't know what you're going to get. And so, like, I, I am a human being. I have interests beyond baseball. This is an outlet for talking about them. Baseball at every show, for sure. But it's not going to be strictly baseball. Um you know, for people who got mad about the fact that I said I didn't visit the why I turned down my White House invitation in 2018 and want me to stick to sports, this might not be the show for you. And that's OK, because, uh, you know, we talk about what we want and just kind of have a conversation. Um, I will be totally transparent with everybody that this is where the show is right now. Uh, there is a distinct possibility that at some point down the line, it will be a Patreon style show in the model of. Uh, to talk about some Patreons I have supported in the past. Uh, the Best Show, Chapo Trap House, QAnon Anonymous, um, where you'd be looking at still having a free episode every week, but maybe for a little extra also getting a bonus episode every week. Um, and that's about that kind of thing. There will be an email segment. We have no emails for this episode because we had no episode and no email address before. But if you want to send an email that maybe gets read and answered or discussed next episode, you can send an email to chinmusic at fangraphs.com. That goes right to my email box and I will read it and maybe we'll read some of them on the air. Uh, David. Yes. Hello. How are you? Ah, uh, you know. How are you? Uh, it's a great question. Um, and nobody gonna, is good, but yeah, I, I just feel like if you go, oh, I'm all right. I think I feel like you're winning. Yeah, I feel like this is one of those things where I've I've really struggled to answer that question at times in the past <laughs> right, year. Exactly. Uh, like just finding yourself not just like stuck for an answer, but being the sort of thing where you're like I'm about to like lie to the person at this deli. <laughs> right. <laughs> like I don't even know, but I I think. In some ways, I have found myself feeling better over the last couple of weeks uh, than I had before. Uh, again, like the bar is decently low, uh, as you recall, last month some really bad shit happened. Uh, but in this case, like I got uh, my parents are halfway vaccinated, 
Um, mm-hmm. I saw some photographs of relief pitchers uh, doing the hurdler stretch in Florida earlier today. <laughs> so there's hope. You know, it's the, not, this is better than it's better than it was a week ago. There's light at the end of the tunnel. It's a glimmer and it's distant, but at least it's there is light. Yes. <laughs> what, what kind of onrushing thing that light might be attached to <laughs> exactly. is really something that we will sort out at a you know date yeah, TBD. It, it might be heaven. It might be a Mack truck. Yep. Um, let's talk about the photo of 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 pitcher Hurley. Baseball starting, and and it's uh, we're recording this on Thursday afternoon, and and over the last. Oh, 36 hours or so, um, it's happening on Twitter with people who are in Florida and in Arizona posting thrilling photos of, of sun and baseball fields and things like that. And there's, it's good. Like, it, get excited. Baseball's here. We all love baseball. I think it's totally fine to be hyped about baseball, but there's certainly parts of me that are just kind of like, yay? Yeah, it still feels totally off, to be honest. Like, which is... You know, it, it doesn't feel quite as off as last year did starting, you know, whatever the um, like summer camp presented by Camping World or whatever. Was <laughs> I forgot all about that. The Cronenbergian yes! vibes of all that was like a very different <laughs> thing than this. And like in this case, like this just feels like a little bit ill-advised, but like at least they're outdoors and I don't know, like I, I don't, I'm ready to talk myself into it to a certain extent. I think in part because uh, it's not official yet you know that like yeah like watching nba games still feels kind of squicky and off to me Mm -hmm. whereas in this case it's like what are these guys even doing like like sprinting near each other like i see people at the park doing that when it's not snowing like it's not that bad it's yeah it's not and it's it's, and and let's be honest i I think it's good to have these photos i think it's good for you to see these and go oh this is exciting baseball starting up but um let's be honest with each other spring training is really boring and it's this is the the real boring like I for me it has like a an arc to it where it's like this is a boring bit because there's nothing to see or talk about right and yet at least in normal years I think less so this year uh, there's still beats there whose job it is to like extrude content no matter what and that's how you get the stretching photos that look like you know whatever like pictures of cryptids <laughs> you know just like really fuzzy far away like zoomed in bob nightingale camera phone pics why isn't there a minor league team called the skinwalkers there should i mean honestly like as as alternate uh you know you could sell some hats for sure like i would buy like a whatever salem kaiser yetis or whatever (laughs) if they decided to do it the but uh in this case it seems like we're so this part is bad and then there's like the first few games where it's unrepresentative and weird but it's objectively baseball to me like that is as happy as i am as a baseball fan basically all year but then that starts to suck and by the time opening day comes around you're usually already kind of bored i imagine it's worse (laughs) if you're there i'm assuming that like that last three weeks in arizona or florida as somebody who's actually working for a team it's just kind of like like being trapped in a summer camp Yes, and and your arc completely matches the arc of, of, of my own from having spent countless weeks in uh, West Palm Beach and Kissimmee, Florida. Mm. Kissimmee, and, the greater uh, Kissimmee St. Cloud Metro. I remember <laughs> them advertising on TV when I was a kid and like asking my parents about it. And I was like, is that good? Should we go there? And they were like, no. No. Well, yeah, let me tell you. <laughs> Don't no. even joke about that. Don't, yeah, it's, it's funny. I, the, real quick aside, we'll have many of these on a show, but... Um, you know, you spend a lot of time in spring training and you're there for a long time. And, and, and usually at some point you have your loved one come stay with you for a little while. Um, 
and uh, the last year I was in Kissimmee, uh, my, my beautiful wife, Margaret, uh, came and spent a few days. And it was a pretty long drive from the hotel to the ballpark on, on, on Route 192, which is kind of the main drag. With like all the shitty hotels and the you know cheap Disney tickets and and bad souvenir like like all that stuff right mm-hmm. and all like kind of like cheaper tourist stuff for people who had gone there for Disney and were out of money so like mini golf real, and, like f- like if you've seen the Florida Project basically yeah, is what you're describing it's it is I mean some of that was right right there yeah and it's like you know mini golf and and bad souvenirs and 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 pet the alligators and stuff like that and um and she. You know, came with me to to the ballpark one day, and you're driving back, and 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 she just kind of, we we're almost all the way to the hotel, so it's like thirty minutes of this strip of just garbage, and she just and it's quiet. She just looks at me, and she goes, "I know, like you like your job. This is place fucking is horrible." <laughs> I was like, "Yes, yes, it is. It's okay to say that. It's totally fine." Yeah, I think that's kind of. I mean. This is the part of, of the idea of spring training. I've actually never been in my whole life as a really? baseball fan. Yeah, and I feel. Like, in some ways, it's like I, I felt like I had a couple of little windows there where I could have justified it, and I might now be, like, entering the like the last, longest, and least excusable one, which is, like, I'm just an old guy with not that many things going on, which is, like, <laughs> but, you know, I could have gone with my dad as a kid, and, like, we didn't do that, and then there's, like, you know, I have friends that at my brother-in-law would go to the Cleveland spring training camp and with his buddies, and they would just live horribly like not in like a partying way either like they would go because they wanted to like see baseball right. up close but then they would like sleep in the car outside of beef o'brady's because it didn't cost anything and it was like i missed that stage like i'm not even going to go inside of a beef o'brady's probably at this point in my life let <laughs> but alone, you're more likely to be in the parking lot though. yeah let right let alone like <laughs> sleeping in a whatever elantra outside of it the, but the idea now of like I mean, I know where the Mets play, Port St. Lucie, Florida, is like famously the most boring place on earth. It's up there, yeah. And that whole, like, I guess, like, I like the idea that there's still places in in Florida. I know Vera Beach is near uh, Port St. Lucie. All of this seems to be within 90 minutes of Kissimmee. That, like, where really the thing that they have to recommend is that, like, it's mostly warm enough for you to play baseball there during the spring and also nothing else. Yeah. And, and, and like, I kind of would like to have the experience of being someplace that is that sincerely crummy. Not yeah. for very long, not for six weeks, but, you know, for a few days. West Palm's kind of different. And obviously the Astros moved from Kissimmee to West Palm a couple of years ago. And West Palm's different because you can actually kind of go to downtown West Palm. And it's very, like, bougie and gross, but at least you can get a good restaurant. You know what mm-hmm. I mean? Yep. And... um but Kissimmee, like you came, like I found like a good hole in the wall Indian place, and then we found a, a Mexican place that only Mexicans were at, and then so you knew that was going to be good, and it did. It was great, and um, and so, but other than that, you were like really stuck in Kissimmee, unless and like some people went. I can't remember the name of it. It's it's, it's that Disney apartment complex and housing complex that has like oh, a Disney cele- name. Celebration. Celebration. The town of Celebration. Wow. And I have a friend who made a little short documentary about it, and it sounds. Uh, like a really fantastic place to set a horror movie was my impression of it. I really offended someone once because I didn't know that they actually were staying in Celebration, like had an apartment there during spring training. <laughs> you were like, like, imagine I, doing that. Right? Can well, you so imagine it, that? It's worse than that. It's worse than that. <laughs> so like we're having lunch. He's like, so what do you think of Celebration? I said, I don't. I said, it just seems like what America would be like if the Nazis won. <laughs> and, um, 
He's like, oh, I respect your opinion, but I like it. Yeah, I live here. I'm like, oh, okay. Yeah, no, it seems nice. It seems nice. The restaurants are good. Um, but, but again, like, your arc is that arc. Like, you get to spring training, and, like, the first day, it's just like, hey, it's warm. And, oh, I can hear a bat cracking. Someone's taking BP. I can watch that. And someone's throwing a bullpen. And there's no games. And, like, the players are done by lunch. You know, they show up early, they get their workout in, they do whatever they need to do, like physical, some guys have to do some rehab stuff or whatever. Take a little BP, throw a bullpen, get the hell out of there, right? And that's 10 days. And there's just nothing. Yeah. And and there's, you know, obviously, if, if you know, you're not a player, you can go to the office and have work to do. I would rather go to my hotel and room and work. And, um, and then the games start, and you get excited about the games for just a little bit. And the early games are more fun, A, because they're games, but B, because, like, you... The rosters are still like 65 dudes. Yeah. And after the fifth inning, you get to see the prospects play. And obviously that's what I'm into, right? Yeah. Or as a Mets fan, you just get to see the guys that are also there. But it is, <laughs> but, that, but that was always a delight to me too, is just like, watch, you know, I never like spotted anybody. I remember watching a spring training game where a very young James Loney was very obviously better than anyone the Mets nice. had that time. Uh-huh. And I was like, oh, that's cool. Like, I, you know, whatever. But the idea of being like that being your big scouting find is like, I watched a 19-year-old James Loney hit a double off like <laughs> I don't know, like what uh, like Guillermo Moda or something right. like that. Like that's not really uh, like that cool a pull. But the rest of it is just like yeah, like some guy named like you know whatever Darren wearing like number 97. Yeah. yeah, and I'll take it. Like that's if after a long winter, like that's good to me, but only for a little while. Yeah, and then th- by the time you get to. Like somewhere around March 12th, you're in very March 12th, March 15th, mid-March. It, it's, it's very much Groundhog Day. You have no idea what day it is. There's no such thing as weekdays and weekends because it's the same thing every day. And like by March 15th, like the players want to get the hell out of there. They want to be over. They don't want to play. They, they just want this over. And it doesn't need to be this long either. It's, it's done for, um, for money reasons. Like all these teams who have leases with the stadiums or leases for the land or deals when they bought the land or whatever, they all have like guarantees of like 13 or 14 home games so they have to play them so they well, make their money that's interesting that it is not I always assumed that there was some reason why it was this long yeah because it, it makes sense that of course that reason would be a business reason it's a business reason like all these stadium leases or you know a deal as part of buying the land for teams that own the stadiums like you guarantee the town like it's usually 13 or 14 home games um, that's why you do it we don't need this much time you could start this thing on March 1st and we'd be fine totally um, fine this is for some reason blowing my mind, which again, it shouldn't because all we've been talking about for the last 15 minutes is like, yeah, they spend 10 days doing stretching. Yeah. And then, yeah, and then like whatever, and then another month on top of that, just playing right. meaningless games. So I, is there anything, so beyond kind of the dread that is living in modern society, is there any sort of aspect of the season you're looking forward to? I mean, this is, I guess, the... to not to spin it back immediately to the dread of living in contemporary society, <laughs> but I think it's it's the idea of, like, I've just found myself thinking about August, for instance, not in a, in a concrete way. You know, there's things we usually do in August, like we'll go see my wife's family, you know, we'll go see my family at the shore if they get a place and stuff, and that's all really nice. Uh, and I'll go, I'll go to baseball games if I can do it. But... You know, I know that August is coming. It is. We're in the middle of a snowstorm today. It is the middle of February. Like, there's not. It's not very easy to think of it, and yet, like, 
I wasn't really letting myself think about the future very much, you know, three months ago. Mm -hmm. Uh, Like, there just didn't really seem to be a whole lot there to to get excited about, you know? And as, like, kludgy and, like, predictably fucked as the, you know, vaccine rollout has been, there's still a sense of it to me that, like, it is easier for me to imagine, even if it's just imagining, uh, doing the things that I used to like to do. And is, is August your fantasy date? Like, I, I that's kind of like my like mid August yeah. is my fantasy date for like, we'll, like we'll have the kids over for dinner and we'll eat inside and we and we'll hug and we won't have ma- you know what I mean? Yeah, like pretty August much. is my fantasy date for. This. And I don't know if it's realistic or not. I mean, I, feel I don't like I'm negotiating it against. I'm negotiating with myself. You know that like at this point, like Anthony Fauci says a different thing every few weeks about where this is going to be and when we can expect this sort of saturation and like, you know, just the experience of my friends who have been vaccinated or are trying to get vaccinated does not suggest that like the system is improving, but not at such a rate that I'm going to wind up getting my jab in six weeks somehow, you know? Right. Right. So like, have you, August, have you even tried yet? No, I mean, I don't have any of the, like it, yeah, I, I would take like, it if like it was I'm, offered to me because yeah. I feel like, but I don't like, I'm decently young. I don't have the, you know, the sort of the conditions that warrant it. And my job is such that like, you know, I can do it from here. Like I really should do it from here. Uh, you know, so like if it was yeah, the sort yeah, of thing yeah. where I felt like I was taking it from my friends who were teachers, like I would feel terrible about it. But no, I haven't tried yet. We did get my parents uh, through, which is good. And that was a challenge. They did a lot of, of the, you know, the lifting on that at the end. And it's not a movement that comes naturally for them. But right. yeah, I mean, I, August, I guess it like felt realistic enough uh, but also, you know, like something that would be worth looking forward to, you know, that like dreaming of the idea of like, like it would be nice to be able to have like a normal Thanksgiving with my family next year. Like, I think that would be great. I don't want that to be the first normal thing that I do. Like, cause that would mean that I missed another whole baseball season, mm-hmm. you know, that I missed another like sort of a trip to Maine where I didn't feel wary and like nervous all the time, you know, like I don't, what I want is what I had like everybody else. And I don't know what to expect or when to expect it, but yeah, like August would be a fun time to get it if nothing else. Right. I don't, I, you know, people, I don't, I don't think I'm comfortable traveling or or doing anything like that until I get two shots in my arm. No, I wouldn't. I mean, if I, this is the thing, it's like, we're lucky that this is a call that we have to make. Like I've barely been on the subway in the last year, you know? And like, and that's something that is safe, uh, but is also like, nerve-wracking you know, though yeah like it? why but i don't have to do it you know right it's like that's how i feel like, like grocery shopping like i can click a bunch of boxes on a web page drive the next morning open my trunk say goldstein and someone puts it in i'm doing that yeah yeah you know? i mean it just seems like the the uh, the stuff that i actually miss this has always been the thing that's been strangest to me about you know thinking back on things that feel like they happened 100 years ago like the the anti-lockdown protests and stuff. Do you remember the guy in Michigan, this one really stuck in my mind, who got really emotional in front of a news camera being like, we can't go to the lawn care store. Yes. We can't go uh, to the, I, the store next to the lawn care store where you get stuff to put on your lawn at the accessory <laughs> store. Like that guy. As a fan of Reddit's public freakout page, yes. very. Yes, all right, good. So like that sort of thing where I was like, oh, so this is what, like that's what you miss is just like going to Lowe's and fucking wandering around. 
And, like, I mean, I guess, like, to a certain extent, like, I miss going to the grocery store with no clear goal in mind and, like, coming home (laughs) with, like, a ball of fresh mozzarella and some olives and being like, I'll figure it out. Right. And, like, that's cool, but it's not, like, it's not, like, what I, like, what I miss is, like, my family, (laughs) you know? Like, stuff is kind of academic to me. It's just, like, a thing you do when you don't have other things to do. It's, yeah, it's little, like, you know, we have, I live in DeKalb, Illinois. It's a small college town like with a small d1 school northern illinois university is right here and and we have a little tiny two block downtown and that we can walk to and in that little tiny two block downtown is a absolute dive of a bar cash only filled with townies called uh lord stanley's it's ostensibly a hockey bar but people (laughs) just go there to get drunk um and it's great it's the best i love this place and like it, it you know Every once in a while on a Friday or Saturday, it's just like, what are we doing? Let's just go to Stanley's and just go and have a couple cocktails and and watch people have a good time. And I love that. And I, you know, I miss go just doing that. Yeah, same. I've I found myself. I feel like I've talked about this on every podcast I've been on because it's been it's such a weird thing to dream about. You know that like I've been let down by my unconscious many times, like everybody else. Where you know you have like a dream that's like extremely literal and you wake up bored like that's kind of a feeling of being ripped off you know that like where i used to be flying i'm now like having a dream where i'm watching myself respond to slack dms or whatever and like that's not (laughs) not what you want but i've had a bunch of dreams recently where i'm like just having a beer in a bar with a friend yeah i had a dream recently where i went I went to a place with a friend of mine that i haven't seen in a really long time and we got hummus that was the whole dream (laughs) We ordered hummus, and we're like, yeah. you want some hummus? Yeah, this looks like good. Doesn't that sound great? Do yeah, but it's like that, I guess, is like how impoverished my imagination has become. That like, I'm not, not only am I not like dreaming big in like a literal or even like a figurative sense. Like what I'm I'm dreaming of is like stuff that I, you know, enjoyed but was not right. necessarily like enthused by one year ago at this time yeah and it's kind of it's obviously it's sad and dark for everyone and 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 you know i think we'd both admit we've had it way better than most yeah but at the same time like there are nights where like we'll just whatever like you'll watch an episode of the crown on netflix and they'll be like well it's the least we got we got another hour through the night <laughs> you know, yeah. it's just like, at least we're one hour closer to bedtime yeah which is a weird way to sort of think about it but i've definitely had you know similar sorts of like calculations where you're you know, you're avoiding the chunk plays, just moving the ball down the field exactly. uh, to use a baseball metaphor. <laughs> and But there is like that idea of being like, this is this whole thing can be weighed in like, we've had this recently where uh, my wife has gotten into the um, the glass blowing competitive reality show on Netflix, which is uh, called Blown Away. <laughs> I've seen it. I've not watched. So it's it's pretty good. Season two better than season one so far. But it is the sort of thing where like she likes it. And we both have like at this point, you know, it's like all we do is fucking hang out with each other. Like there's nothing that we can right. talk about Absolutely. that would be like too embarrassing where she's like, I want to ration this. I don't want to just blow through this. And I'm like, oh, the glass blowing program, the Canadian reality show where the people make vases. Yes. I agree that we should be careful with how we consume this <laughs> so that we don't use it all up too fast. <laughs> I, I, you know, I'm not going to laugh at you. My wife and I, no, during fans, the summer, go blew, ahead. We blew through, <laughs> We blew through every uh, European version of Love Island that was on Hulu. Oh, man. So the yeah, Br- there was a the, lot of that. The British and the Australian version, actually, That as was well. really early quarantine stuff. The, like, yeah, um, it, was, it was like Married what at a way, First Sight What a way to get stuff. through a day. Like, Kate was just like, all right, well, we're out of that. Like, I, Do you think Australians <laughs> do well at this? 
The answer is not really. There's so many people listening right now going, yeah, he's right. It's not really a baseball show. Um, (laughs) There's no baseball yet. Australian Love Island is not any more or less relevant to anything that will happen during the baseball season. Uh, right. <laughs> anything we could discuss baseball wise. I was surprised because the Australian Love Island was more, um, a little more tepid than UK Love Island. UK Love Island is trashy as hell. I'm sure. In the best of way. Like, it's just a, like three couples having sex in the same room kind of trashy. Love it. That's terrific. Yeah, fantastic. Always, uh, if you've ever vacationed in Europe and encountered large groups of Brits there, <laughs> uh, like, None of that. I mean, if you encounter large groups of Aussies, too, it's the same mm-hmm. sort of deal. But at least they're, like, elite operators in the field of partying. You know, that, like, they're yeah. in good shape. Like, they've clearly been training for this, and they're just, like, remembering all of the, you know, previous times that they got kicked off a gondola for being rowdy <laughs> or just whatever. just muscle memory at this point. Yeah. Whereas the Brits, it's like they do not know how to act like they've been there before. It's just the sort of thing where they're constantly falling off of stuff. <laughs> Great smears of makeup on everything. <laughs> Um, we're going to talk about baseball now. Okay. There were two big stories last night. It is Thursday again. This probably goes up Friday. Who knows? I I need to figure out how to edit things again. Um, (laughs) so the first story was that, uh, the the huge retirement story of Tim Tebow. Uh, I know, I know you are, uh, you live in New York. You are a Mets fan. Certified Tebow head as well. Of course. Your thoughts on the end of the career of Tim Tebow. Well, my first thoughts, I guess, are that, uh, now that the Mets have an owner who is solvent, um, they, they don't really <laughs> is he, is need he him after anymore. The GameStop thing, <laughs> more so. Honestly, like yeah. So he obviously ate shit on seven hundred and fifty whatever like million dollars or something like that. He's still much more solvent than the Mets were under yeah, the Wilpons. You, and, you I, and I were. Yes, right. But the I feel like the the whole Tebow experience to me with the Mets, I never. Like, I've, you know, we've both, I guess everybody has now lived through, like, this full uh, Tebow hype cycle where there was, like, a period. I remember covering uh, the game at Foxborough, which was after Tebow had thrown a game-winning, miraculous game-winning touchdown pass to Demarius Thomas against the Steelers. I believe it was Demarius Thomas. Uh, and the Broncos, who had finished the season, like, 8-8, eight and eight, went to New England, and everybody was like, maybe this is legit. I remember being in the press box and there was a woman from People Magazine there and she was like, if they win, I have to write a story about them. If they don't, I obviously don't. And like, but it was, there was a moment where everybody was like, maybe there is something at work in this dude that we couldn't possibly understand. He might be good at football. He might have special powers. Right. And then like, uh, Bill Belichick destroyed that. Uh, He destroyed it in the first 15 minutes of the game. I mean, it was like, it didn't even take a quarter. And you're like, oh, okay, right. He's like, it's who he thought he was. And yet, like, he had, you know, the career that he had playing football and then baseball-wise, him coming back. At that point, I didn't expect him to, obviously, no one expected him to play in the majors or whatever. But it felt very much like the sort of thing, based on what you were saying about spring training, that, like, if you get to keep the gate receipts and if you, for instance, own the team that is playing at the facility where otherwise nobody would show up, let alone buy t-shirts. And if you're the Wilpons and you need that money, then yeah, you sure you plug him in. Like, yeah, he's taking a spot for somebody who could conceivably play in the majors. Someday. That was the only thing that bothered me. Right. I mean, that was, and that part of it is annoying. Uh, but again, like given the way that the Mets were like, I don't think that, that people really understand how close 
we were to seeing Tebow play in the majors a few years ago. That, oh, like, yeah. He would have. Not like, because he's doing good. To, very close to coming up. Very yeah. close to getting a September call up in 19. Yeah. And not because he deserved it necessarily, but because like there really wasn't anyone ahead of him. Why not? In the yeah. upper minors depth chart for the Mets at that point. Like they started the year with those guys and then right. like the at the direction of ownership, they would somehow get, you know, jobbed out of a $2,500 roster bonus whatever and then like every time whatever like Rajay Davis or like uh Danny Espinosa leaves the organization that's like one part of the buffer between Tebow and the major league roster that has been removed it's so it's... in some ways I guess I'm breathing easier but like he seemed like you know he approached it like he understood what his situation was and I guess I, I'm glad he had fun or whatever but like and he exceeded expectations like he wasn't yeah. good but he was way better than I thought he'd be Yep. I thought like it would be an absolute disaster and he was merely bad. Like, and I think it's an incredible achievement in its own right. Yeah. The thing I can give him credit for and like, so he was, I think, aesthetically one of the most uncanny football players, not necessarily a compliment of, that I've ever encountered that like nobody threw the way that he threw. And every time a team would try to fix his story motion, it would just get weirder. <laughs> like, and he was equally weird as a baseball player that he like, so this was an NFL quarterback whose outfield arm was so bad that he could not be used in the outfield. Happens all the time. Yeah. I guess, is that so, I guess it's the sort of thing where, like, it was the fact that it was inaccurate was not necessarily it. It was that he couldn't put any any mustard on the ball. There's, he never really yeah, learned There's to, tons of guys who were, like, high, even college quarterbacks, and they get to baseball, and I just, it's a just, I, there's something different about it, and they don't have good outfield arms. All the I time. I guess it makes some kind of sense, but it was like the fact that he was as bad defensively as he was. And then the type of offensive player that he was like, you'd think he's, you know, he's a big, strong dude or whatever. And like, you know, it just, he was a very strange type of player. Yeah. The guys that the Mets wind up accidentally developing all the time, like have a similar sort of profile where you're just sort of like, maybe he's an on base guy. Like there's no, like this guy will never have a slugging percentage. It starts with a four. Like, he can't run the bases and he can't play the field. But, like, there's guys like that in the organization. He was just the most famous of those. Right, right. <laughs> it's it's a, it's a strange... It was strange to watch him. I remember... Um, I have a couple of memories. The first is, like, when he was, you know, said he was going to try to play baseball and he had an open workout for teams. And I, if I remember, it was in California. Yeah. All right. One of my vice sports colleagues snuck into it. Uh, oh, that's Mike fantastic. Colucci. Yeah. So, uh, it's... it's I, I mean, the Astros had absolutely no intention of signing him, but, um, you know, my scout who lives in Southern California, I just, like, let him know. I'm like, you know, you're not, you're, the season has started yet. If you want to go to this, have a good time. And he was so excited just cause, just for the just for the app, just for the pomp and circumstance of it all, you know? Yeah, it was, as I recall, and I shouldn't remember this as well as I do, he was facing either David Ardsma or David Risky. I don't remember I think it was Ardsma, yeah. And, like, I remember that Mike's big takeaway from it after watching it, you know, like, secretly getting in there and watching it, was, like, either David Ardsma is, like, really needs to be on a major league roster now, or, like, this is definitely not going to happen. <laughs> I guess he, I think he had a couple offers at the end of the day, but it, it's... Um... Last week, or maybe early this week, um, one of those MLB social media accounts posted something like, um, go in your photos on your phone, search for the word baseball, and, and post your funniest photo. And I just said, I wonder what mine will look like. And I, you know, I, I got a few baseball photos. And, um, and I found the funniest one. And I, this was before he retired. 
and it was just the game day screen, like the MLB.com game day screen from a spring training game, um, Mets at Astros, and it's it's one at bat by Tim Tebow. And the pitcher was Rogelio Armenteros, now with the mm-hmm. Nationals, and you know you can see like where the ball is. It's three fastballs right down the middle, literally. Like each ball <laughs> is almost exactly dead center, and then below it just says strike one taken, strike one taken. Strike two taken, strike three taken. <laughs> Tim Tebow strikes out. He just took like he just like took like three absolute meatballs, like just down the middle, took them all and walked back to the guy. And it was the funniest thing I ever saw. And I yeah. remember taking that screenshot and sharing it with people I worked with. And, and that was my and that was and then two days later he hung him up. I hope it wasn't my fault. It's about as like relatable as someone like Tim Tebow's, <laughs> like extremely famous and strong could be. Right. I remember when I was a little kid, I used to love reading, you know, like baseball stories like every little dork does. And I remember there was a story about um I don't remember who the manager was. His team was facing Walter Johnson. This was like, you know, before the advent of night baseball, so it was like the sun is sort of going down. Yeah. And he was trying to give people a pep talk and he was like, I want you to go up there and do your best, and if you can't see it, just come on back. <laughs> and the idea of like, I mean, Armenteros is a is a real pitcher, but the idea of yeah. like so that I mean, but not Tebow's a fastball guy. It's probably just throwing ninety, probably. Yeah, you know? <laughs> the idea too of just him being like, oh right, it's the it's the football guy. Yeah, I'll just pitch to him the way that I would pitch to say Matt Hasselbeck. Right, eighty percent chance for Julio Armenteros had no idea who Tim Tebow was. That's probably for the best. Guy from Cuba, he he's not watching college football. Maybe I don't, or maybe that's like maybe they can uh, bootleg Gators games there, and he's like, "This guy's a winner." <laughs> Tebow did hit a homer off a viable major league baseball player in spring training, and I wish I could remember who it was. I'm, I'm sure that you will get an email from someone who does. Yes, please email us. My phone keeps booping. Things are happening. Um, and, and yeah, absolutely. I, 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 he had a couple. He, he actually had raw power. It's just like he just couldn't get to it. Like he's, yeah. he's a huge, strong man. Right. Um, like, and this is the thing too with him. Like, I don't expect that like he's a guy that i would necessarily want to bro down with no but he doesn't seem like a like a bad dude like it was impossible for me to be mad about tebow at any point during his kind of journey you know as a famous person right just because like if you didn't like his politics he never came off as like an edge lord or confrontational or anything right like he wasn't a a turd he was just kind of like a you know like a, a sort of a mild a pale screen on which you could project whatever you wanted to project. <laughs> and now he's out of baseball. Well, I'm sure he'll do well in his next act, um, <laughs> which is almost certainly being in Congress. I just don't know if he's mean enough. He, I, I, so I don't do football. He does He does do some sort of football TV stuff. Yes, though, right? he does do TV stuff. And I think he's le- well-liked. For okay. That. He's like a studio guy. So on that note, we will uh, take a break. You'll listen to a, a fine tune from Teenage Halloween, who we'll talk about in a little bit. We'll be back with Pedro Mora from The Athletic talking about all sorts of Dodgers stuff. I pass the gas station My thoughts all seem to rhyme Existential I'll take it My urges are all fucked this time Lay down on the mattress Near a circle
welcome back to the first episode of Chitta Music. Thanks again to Teenage Halloween for providing the tunes. Our first guest in our first episode is a senior writer, elevated from junior writer status, at The Athletic. He covers primarily the Dodgers and also does some other stuff and joining us from his luxurious accommodations in Highland Park in the Los Angeles area. It's Pedro Mora. Pedro, how are you? I am doing great. It is a pleasure to be on here. Thank you both for having me on. How are you? As, you know, as good as you can be these days. Fair enough. So, so um, I wanted to talk to you ostensibly about the Trevor Bauer signing, but I think, like Trevor Bauer, the player has been kind of dissected to no end. And even in some ways, Trevor Bauer, the dude, has been dissected to no end. I kind of want to talk to you about the dynamic. Did you go to the actual press conference at Dodger Stadium? No, no, I did not. Media were, were not uh, permitted to be there, okay. but I, I was on the Zoom. I was definitely on the Zoom. So can you talk about kind of, obviously this was one of the biggest free agent signings of the offseason. Obviously you have to have a presser. Can you talk about maybe what the Dodgers' expectations might have been for that presser and maybe even what Bauer's expectations were and then what they actually got? Yeah, that's that's an interesting way way to look at it. I I can I'll start with what they got. Uh, they got a they got at least half of questions about a half. You know, there was a thirty minute session. I think thirty two minutes, and I would say of the of the twenty eight of Q and A, probably fourteen or fifteen were centered on his history of uh, harassing people on on the internet, and particularly on Twitter. You know, I I, I think the Dodgers as an organization are not naive, you know, Andrew Friedman certainly anticipated that that was going to come up, you know, and he, he even seemed to, to prompt Bauer to, uh, to offer a response at one point. Uh, and I'm sure their public relations department also anticipated that, but it didn't, it did not seem as if Trevor Bauer had expected the, the, uh, the quantity of, of, of questions he heard on, on that subject. He, he was not prepared to address it beyond, um, you know, really, really basic detail. I mean, he was prepared to, to talk about other things that he preferred to in, in, in great detail beyond what you usually hear on a press conference. So that was sort of bizarre. But yeah, I guess um, expectation-wise, the Dodgers knew, knew what was happening. You know, they, they, they understand that this is reporters' jobs to ask about, you know, something that he has really done uh, for a long time with a lot of receipts on the internet. Uh, and it's, you know, in this era, it's, it's, it's it's almost you know it's low hanging fruit for us to ask about it. It's I I can't claim that it's that it's a particularly difficult thing when I have exact receipts of of what the the player has been saying for you know for seven years now on the internet. Do you think they anticipate two thirds of the questions to be about his Twitter bullying as opposed to what he brings to the team? Yeah, that's a good question. I I don't know. Um, I did. You know, I I, I can say that I did um, because. He, it hasn't been sufficiently answered, and there's a you know there's a there's a history of this that has not has not been changed. There's no, there's no there has been no evidence to to believe that he is going to change, um, and he has been given you know a massive platform in a in a, in a massive city in a in a franchise that um, has has talked a lot about the impact they make on the community. And, and last year in particular, their players were very vocal about the um, the necessity of speaking up of of um, of, of fighting back uh, against uh, against the issues and the systemic racism in this country, against a, a host of other issues. You know, Clayton Kershaw spoke up, Mookie Betts spoke up, Kenley Jansen. And so, you know, if you're going to um, publicly uh, 
provide coverage of, of when you know when these players are you know making uh, making good on their platforms and you also have to provide coverage of when players are making bad on their platforms that's the way i see it do you think uh, that trevor bauer was disappointed that the work he's done in terms of harambe awareness uh didn't come up <laughs> trevor bauer was definitely disappointed with his, with his press conference yeah he, he he tweeted as much i i, I do believe i Harambe specifically, I'm sure he would have loved a question about that. Yeah, I, I can say that I've never, you know, there is there is a, a new element to this in that, like, I've never had a player review perform like reporters' performances in a press conference publicly, right? So when you go back and look the next day on his account, and he's like, he's replying to questions to tweets saying, "I wish I could have asked this," and he's like, "Yeah, that would have been a much better question." That's a it's a whole it's a whole new world for us for sure. I feel like there's, I mean, whatever he's he's who he is, and as you said, like the. <laughs> None of this is new to anybody that's had an account, um, you know, and cares about baseball. There's something I will admit to being a little surprised by it starting out this way. Like, I guess maybe that this is just the moment that we're in and that uh, that kind of confrontation uh, sort of standing in for discourse or insight or whatever else shouldn't be surprising. But seeing it just like pick up from that immediate uh place of grievance when he you know these are the first time that he's been asked these questions by these reporters and in many cases the first time he's been asked these questions period i like i I don't know there was something about the uh the energy of it that was uniquely sour on its own merits but then also just given where that press corps is and their relationship with him it was it was startling to me how immediate it was Oh yeah, I mean, you're totally right about that. It was like a, it was a, like a remarkably bad vibe. <laughs> I think is what I would, would say. Like 365 days earlier, in person, pre-COVID or, or pre-pandemic declaration in America, I was at the same place, actually there for uh, you know a press conference introducing Mookie Betts and, and David Price, right? And, and Mookie Betts just sat there, incredibly chill the entire time, unmoving, uh, just relaxed, happily, or you know. Could, contentedly answering questions and uh the 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 vibe check difference between those two is is impossible right to to to, like you cannot find two more extreme uh differences you can't yeah there was the they were they were entirely different and it's um i i am surprised that it wasn't a, a little bit more positive considering yeah i mean he's a really good pitcher right and usually what uh what these press conferences cover are the way people play baseball, not everything else. And so, I, yeah, I, I guess in thinking about it more, it is surprising that there wasn't a little bit better vibe considering this guy was dominant, you know, dominated the sport last year, dominated two years ago or three years ago. And, um, and you know, I might do that again and might propel a team to, you know, to becoming a, a dynasty in, profession, in, in Major League Baseball. Yes, that, that is surprising in that sense. And it, it speaks to just how long of a history he has harassing people on the Internet that you can't ignore it. And, and obviously, you know, Dodgers officials talked about how they did their homework on this guy, if you will. Um, and it is kind of just a uh, just a matter of fact, it's not necessarily a good thing, but, you know, you'll put up with far more when someone is as good as Trevor Bauer as someone who is not. Like, do you think the Dodgers would have signed, you know, a, a bullpen depth piece who had the same issues? <laughs> <laughs> I can't. I can't say I would have expected that. No. I. I um. Frankly, I'm. You know. I'm surprised that they they signed Bauer. I, I am. Like I. That's. I did not expect that. All because because of the player and the money, or because of the other thing. Because of the combination of of the the money and the the his the online history. 
that's um, yeah, I, I think it's it's a it's a risk the way I see it and I, the way I think a lot of people I've asked in this board see it. It is a risk, and they're also spending a lot of money. Um, and so if you you know the the when you add those two things in tandem, it's a ton of risk that they're taking on at this, and they're paying him a ton of money. The upside. They must, they must think he is the best pitcher in baseball. They must think he can be the best pitcher in baseball in 2021 and 2022 for this to, to make sense, to, to, to justify spending $85 million over the, over the next two seasons. No, I don't think they would sign a reliever who's done that history. I also don't think any reliever would uh, would you know feel as free to do this. You know? Right, that's, that's what I was going to say. Like, I don't feel, if you're a depth piece, it's not to say that there aren't like chuds out there who believe what he believes in worse. It's just that you know they can't afford to sort of conduct themselves in the way that he has. I was, I I mean, the part of it that was surprising to me is that like, I really believed that he couldn't afford to conduct himself like that, that like a lot of his early career obviously was, you know, way more about him uh, getting himself into trouble with his personality or his different, you know, difficulties relating to teammates and stuff like that. And that's, you know, can be, you know, pinned down to like, maybe this is an issue with the Diamondbacks. Maybe this is an issue with like Miguel Montero in particular, or like, you know, any of the various sort of beeves that he's cultivated over the course of his career. But (laughs) yeah, you want to, you want to get the language correct. Uh, But there's still (laughs) something about it that like is, I I don't know that. I think that that belief that he is not just, as good as he was in 12 starts in 2020, but good enough for all of this to be worth it is something that, I mean, obviously it's not the sort of thing that the Dodgers will speak on. Like they can't be like, yeah, this guy's impossible, but like, have you seen how good he is? They have to, you know, say the the things that you say. It makes it seem like by far a bigger and stranger gamble of a free agent contract than any I can think of. That like of the really dicey ones, that I've seen in the past, it's always the projection is like, is this person's body going to work well enough for this contract to work out? Right. It's always just the length of the deal. Like, what's yeah. this, this going to look like in the six year? Never is this person going to make it untenable for us to like be a public facing enterprise with his personality over the course of this deal. Yeah, I, I th- this is why I'm dumbfounded that it, that it came to fruition. You know, I expected them to explore it and to be and to be there if if he were unable to to you know to obtain a deal anywhere near what he what he wanted. Right. And in this case, he got what he wanted. I mean, this is a great deal for him. He could frame it as as one year deals and avoid getting shot in the balls with the with a paintball gun. Uh, so it's 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 straight up surprising. It, it 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 is. I don't know how to put it any other way. It's I did not expect this. He made a point of going online today and explaining in a threaded uh, oh sort of tweet format uh. why his contract is, in fact, actually better than Fernando Tatis Jr.'s, which... Uh, Did he really? Oh, yeah. yeah. I don't understand yeah. how you can be as good and as rich as him and be so insecure. It was like an, an Elon thing, too, where he was like, let's do some math, shall we? And then, like, sort of broke down, like, what the fees the agent would receive over and the his course math of the contract. Poor, by the way. Yeah, I mean, honestly, I wasn't going to check the math. Like, to me, it's, it's like, once once you're doing, like, one of those, like, buckle up, like, fuck nuts, <laughs> like, we're going on a trend. Theory? Right. Yeah, Did like, he basically, he, he, he Oh, he showed the, up. It's, he, I wish he said it's time for some game theory, but he did not. Yeah. Okay. I mean, the energy was, was game theoristic, Very much. for sure. Like, Very it had... Much. Uh, I mean, and I think that that's something that uh, you can't, it doesn't show up in the scouting reports. Nobody's like, yeah, this guy's like a, like a strong 60 Garland. 
<laughs> you know, I it, it, I mean, it kind of does in the sense that, like, even, um, you know, obviously, I much of my time on the other side of things, we were evaluating players, and it, it showed up in every Trevor Bauer report that this guy's difficult, and and it, you know, the thing I always used to say is like, this guy as good as he is to be on three teams before you get to free agency. That's pretty unique, and it maybe tells you something. Um, but but Trevor's kind of post press conference behavior. Uh, as David illustrated with the Tatis thread today, and even you know after that, and obviously you worked there, and you know you wrote something about it. Molly Knight wrote something about it, and now he's referring to the Athletic as a gossip rag. Does that make you know if if, if we lived in a normal world with no pandemic going on, and you're actually going into the clubhouse? Would it make for a weird dynamic in any sort of way? Oh yeah, no, without without a doubt, I've never had any sort of issues that that public with the player before you know i've certainly had my issues with with prominent players in clubhouses but they've been you know fans don't know about them and they don't you don't have to worry about the tweets you know (laughs) and i try not to be that online that that online and so it's it's i mean i didn't know about this bauer thing that the the tatis math and i didn't like it it, i I had to find out from texts about the gossip text uh, the gossip tweet so it's just um it's strange it's it's surely strange and i that brings up a point that i'd like to make that i think that that one reason maybe the Dodgers reason this out is that the clubhouse is not going to be an issue for with in terms of how players interact with reporters this season. You know they right. they know that, and so any issues that emerge with Bauer and with teammates or that you know are, are going to be minimized or probably never reported. Uh, any issues are going to be non-existent between uh, between player and, and reporters, and they have that benefit. And that might you know that might hold for next year too. We we don't know, but uh, they have the. Um, I think that's a distinct advantage from their perspective that they don't have to worry about uh, people being around to observe uh, any 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 tension as it simmers. And, and as you guys pointed out, there's been a lot of tension with Bauer and his teammates. Um, and this, this is not just with Miguel Montero at UCLA. This is er, er, in Arizona. This is with Gary Cole at UCLA. This is with the high school teammates at, at Hard High in my hometown of Santa Clarita, California. This is a, a longstanding issue. And do you think that there's any possibility that Dodgers have like said hey Trevor like calm your shit and <laughs> and I guess I guess my second the follow-up to that is if they did tell Trevor hey cock like would he even care so I think yes uh I don't know that I, I have I, don't, I haven't reported that but I I feel pretty confident that that is has been happened uh, that has happened uh, and I think that also happened in Cleveland I mean that's been confirmed if any writer reported right. that in Sports Illustrated so it's it's uh <laughs> it's not necessarily a thing that is going to stop him. I think if if there were a um, if an edict from an organization were going to stop him, it probably already would have. This has been going on for a decade, right? And uh, and it got him the largest an- average annual value of any player ever. It doesn't seem to be a significant hindrance in terms of his earning potential or his or his ability to do whatever the hell he wants. So you know, at this point, the world has not told him he needs to stop. You know, he has a lot of support online, a ton. There's nothing he, he sees as any reason for him to have to stop this behavior. Um, you, we talked a little bit about the clubhouse, if it was a normal situation. Obviously, it's not a normal situation. And and just to, to change the subject a little bit, uh, you know, spring training has started. Uh, on Twitter, you see people tweeting photos of the sun and people playing catch, which is all they're going to get for the next 10 days anyway. Um a lot of reporters have gone to Florida and Arizona, a lot of beat guys um, and gals. And a, it seems like more did not go 
than went. Obviously, when we introduced you, talked about how you're in your luxurious accommodations in Highland Park, Los Angeles, you are not in Arizona. Um, can you talk about kind of what went into the decision as far as going or not going? Yeah, yeah, absolutely. So my, my employer um, allowed us to pick. And for me, it, it, considering the, the, the limited access that would be obtainable there, it really wasn't a very hard decision. Um, you know, I am, I do live in this, in this capitalistic society. And so I can't say that if, if, uh, if I didn't have, if I had access there, I, I probably would go and subject myself to more health risks. But considering that there's very little possible there, it wasn't very hard for me to decide, you know, I'm not going to go spend three, four five, six weeks, um, in a place away from home in a hotel room, you know, without being able to cook my own food and, and whatnot. When, um, when everything is just uh, the same as it is on Zoom. It just it was quite easy to decide. I think uh, different teams are doing a little bit more access. The Dodgers have not promised anything like that for, for reporters who do make the trip. And so it was it was really quite simple. It, it, everything's on Zoom. Um, I, I'm not enough of an expert on no KG. I can't uh, scout these guys from from distant backfields and understand who's <laughs> doing what. So it's uh, it's it was it's really I'm there to talk to the people. My job, the way I see it, is to learn about the people playing the game, and uh, that's what I could do. You know, they, I, I know a little bit about baseball, but not enough to really um, right. In much detail. So I try to write about the people. The people are the only access to the people I have is on Zoom. And so I'll sit in my house and um, and uh, watch their Zooms. And, and, and to be clear, like MLB has no official mandate on how to do media. They left every team to their own accords as far as how to do media. And some teams are allowing one on one interviews, like with social distancing. Someone explained to it, called it MF, NFL style to me. So like 10 feet apart, holding a microphone on a big stick and everything. Um but the Dodgers are not doing that. The Dodgers, it's just Zoom. Yeah, they've said they've they've left open the possibility that they will create they will allow for uh, distance one on ones later in spring. That's 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 far as they've gone. But no, they're not starting them. I know other teams have you know have already arranged interviews like that with uh, with reporters who are arriving. So that's yes, they're they're different from from the rest at this point. And do do you know offhand like what percentage of the Dodgers beat went and what percentage stayed home? I don't actually. Um, I think it's probably about half. Um, at this early stage in spring training, there's usually only about four or five reporters there. In, there's uh, nothing to do. Yeah. <laughs> there's some bad photos to take. Like you could take a picture of Todd Coffey stretching through a chain link fence if you want. But that's <laughs> basically the max, I think, of what you can do until uh, we get closer to March. Yeah, there's really not a lot. The first week of spring training is like the easiest part of the job as a as a baseball writer, I, except for last year actually, when there was a, a little bit of a confrontation between uh, the Dodgers and Astros. Actually, last year the first that week was of spring fun, training yeah. was was pretty gassed up. Oh, you're right, boy. I was I was there for that. Yeah, on the other side, <laughs> it was it was very entertaining. It it, it I was. Say that. Yeah. Yeah. I'm going to go ahead and admit that I do not remember this, not just because I didn't work for the Astros at the time, but because <laughs> spring training of last year effectively to me happened while Napoleon was alive. Like I have, <laughs> that just is really impressive that either of you is capable of remembering something that happened in late February of 2020. It was the last real experience I had, you know? I mean, I, yeah. it's, I, th I think it's actually very easy. I probably remember February of 2020 better than I remember almost any month of the last five years. That's actually the, true because it's all like the last normal thing mm -hmm. that you did. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. The last in and out, the last bar. Yeah, all that stuff. It's, um, yeah. it's, it's, it sticks in my memory for sure. And I've come, as we're coming up on the anniversaries of like, 
Jose Altuve, Carlos Correa, and, and Cody Bellinger fighting with words as they as they were uh, you know, just finishing up their workouts on the first days of spring training. You know, I, I vividly remember a lot of those things, and it was it was fun. It was actually like everything. It happened. At, like I was looking at the Cody Bellinger press conference. It happened at seven fifty something a.m., and my story for the day was done because he had he had called. Uh, you know, he, he fought back at, at them, and it was just a. Uh, it was it was everything that we'd wanted uh, players to be free to say and they never usually are but last year it felt like the floodgates were open for that week was there any impetus for it beyond the fact that baseball players shouldn't be awake at 7 50 a.m dude they wake up at like i mean mookie betts was getting there at 5 30 it's year. unbelievable i mean i know yeah. it's just like it's not yeah. natural to be i don't know for me maybe it's different maybe people uh who write about baseball from their homes not in highland park or on the road but i'm talking about myself should not be doing anything at 7 50 a.m because they'll just be too salty yeah, I, I, yeah, I totally agree. Yes, yes. Saltiness yeah. is, is, I'm never going to sell someone to stop being salty, though. Yeah, you know? I mean, um, one of the things I hated most about spring training was just getting up early. It just sucked. And and, and they actually, some teams have gotten smart and moved things back a little bit just so the players get actual sleep. But, yeah, yeah you, you walk in there at, like, 7.38 and you'd actually feel a little bit late. Mm-hmm. Don't the players like it, though? That's kind of my operating theory for why this continues. They want to get out of there they as want to soon play as golf. possible every mm-hmm. day. And so, yeah. Yeah. There you so, have uh, obviously, baseball starting, and there's going to be some teams. Have the Dodgers announced what they're doing fan-wise? No, they have not. Because California is obviously a different situation, and there are times when Southern California um, fell into the absolute nightmare color on the cdc map i think that's what they designated at like what's the situation there now and kind of what is there a time frame for when the dodgers will know about fans they haven't said uh the situation in in los angeles county in southern california is actually finally rapidly improving it had been on a um a steady downward trend since like november 15th or so uh, it got really bad in, in early January, really, really bad with zero percent uh, ICU space and, and, and sirens yeah. everywhere and, and whatnot. It was it was horrific. Um, things are better. Things are getting better, and they're. I think they've they've been trending up consistently for 17, 18 days now, something like that. So it's uh, it's encouraging. It seems like it's possible that it, they could have fans. But yeah, there are you know additional restrictions here that they don't face in Arizona or Texas in terms of the the law, right? And right. what it'll it'll what it'll allow them to to do a Dodger Stadium. And if they're in a position where they'll have fans, but the press is still res- restricted to Zoom and for as far as one-on-ones, will you go to the ballpark? Good question. I, I don't know. Uh, perhaps. I think I, I considered going last year and, and did not um, because I felt uncomfortable. You know, uh, mm-hmm. it's, and then in retrospect, you look at the case counts in, in July and August of last year in Los Angeles County, and they're still a third of what they are now. Yeah, they feel adorable. Yeah. 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 It's uh, it's funny. I, I probably should have gone then, but you also, you, you don't know, you know, you don't. April of it's last year. It's not like year, it felt safe then, you know? I mean, no. I just think it was, yeah, it's a question of like how, this is what's so deranging about it is that like exactly. somehow now that we're in this like narrative of recovery or, you know, even like a month ago when things were insanely bad and everything was still just kind of like, well, you know, you can't stay closed forever. Like, uh, like we're all getting very bored. And then take in that direction. Yeah, I mean, we're we're starting baseball, and everyone's all excited, and they're talking about having fans in the stands, and and there's fans in spring training games, and just in terms of raw numbers, we're way worse than we were when we pulled everybody off the field and shut everything down. You're so right. Yeah, I I hope that this does not lead you know all this optimism about the new season. I don't want to take that away from people, and I understand the value of joy, but I don't want that to to induce people to lose sight of 
uh, continuing to be vigilant, right? And so it's um, that's that's disconcerting that 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 might you know that fans are going to be going to Kelmback Ranch. That that's also probably a big reason I, I couldn't I never considered seriously going is that there's going to be two thousand people there, right? Just, just complicating matters in, in the area at the stadium, and um, I'm just yeah, I, I'm an anxious person and would not feel comfortable with it. Yeah, it's it's also like there's some of it you can control and a great deal of it you can't. Like your mm-hmm. own behavior. This is like I think been at like the crux of how this got fucked up in the first place is that like thinking of it in terms of like what you individually can do to be safe is like it's helpful as far as it goes, but it doesn't guarantee anything because not any of I mean other people are going to make different calculations. And if there's no guidance from above and there's no sense of what the actual best practices are, then you are at the mercy of the sort of people who would go to Camelback Ranch right now, which, again, right. points to points back to you staying in Highland Park and getting takeout and being smart to do it. Yeah, yeah, it's uh, it's not on. I, I, I try to remember, as, as you've written, you know, it's not I don't I blame the people. Yes, but I blame uh, leaders whose job is to to guide us and. Um, you, yeah, your best practices and your friends' best practices can only get us so far. So, uh, but I'm trying to remain positive about it. My mom just received her second dose uh, three nice. days ago. Nice. And, yeah, um, my parents are due for theirs in a week. Yeah, that's the the feeling when I scheduled the first one was the best ha- the best moment I've had since February of 2020, and I won't forget it. Absolutely, same, dude. It's just like the easiest I've breathed since. And my parents had it, you know, like so mm. they might very well have had. I mean, they tested positive for the um the antibodies months oh, wow. ago. Right. Yeah, they had it really early, everybody around York, me. I mean, yeah. it's just a bad yeah. place to have it and mm-hmm. all that. But even then, it was just knowing that this... Because it went for the longest time, it just didn't feel like something that could be accomplished. Like, even knowing that the doses were out there, it was like you couldn't get them. And, like, asking my very not-web-literate parents to, like, refresh some Ticketmaster-type hell site, you know, like, just <laughs> right. all day in hopes of getting it. But, yeah, I mean, it worked. It's a really... Well, whatever. That's, the I think, the part of it... I can't tell what of it is like the spring training part and what of it is actually, you know, the fact that it does seem like this is finally beginning to happen. But it's been easier to think about the future this last week and change for me than it has been for, you know, 10 months before that. Oh, totally. The, the, my, my adult brain is trying to, to protect me and not have me think about the future too much because it knows that what happens when you do that. So it's, it's been it's been a, a back and forth battle. Uh, Pedro, one last thing I want to talk to you about. Obviously, you you know we said you cover the Dodgers. You do stretch your legs out a little bit, and you wrote a piece this week that was that was excellent. I Thank recommend you. everyone take a look at it over at the Athletic. Uh, it was about uh, former Royals prospect uh, pitching the big leagues a little bit here and with the Reds and maybe somewhere else, uh, John Lamb. And uh, it was an interesting angle, John. Uh, it was about John's the problems he got into MLB. Uh, concerning his marijuana use and how it's actually far more complicated than that because he was often at times self-medicating with marijuana uh, as opposed to taking the painkillers prescribed to him by MLB certified doctors. Can you talk about how that piece came together a little bit? Yeah, yeah. Thank you for asking. And um, I'd love it if people if people read it because I think it, it does shed some light on, on the sports handling of it and, and our society's handling of it. So, so how it came together is I befriended John Lamb in, um, at Angels Camp in 2017 when I when I used to cover the Angels. He's a um, he's the most honest baseball player I've ever encountered. Essentially, will share almost anything at any point with anyone. Uh, and so, over the years, we kept in touch a little bit. 
I, when he was suspended for a drug of abuse, I texted him. He didn't respond. Uh, a couple years later, he reached out to me and, and apologized for not responding and, uh, and, and wanted to open up and felt like he should have responded and that that hurt him because he never commented on the suspension initially. And so it, it spread that it was a drug of abuse. You know, Major League Baseball put that out in their official release and, uh, and, and listed all the drugs it could have been uh, and did not specify which. And it was, it was marijuana that he was, that he was smoking. A lot of it, um, you know, more than a gram a day, but it was, it was a marijuana and he was avoiding um, many other drugs that were prescribed to him, oxycodone, uh, hydrocodone, gabapentin, uh, Xanax. And so he, uh, he detailed essentially the choices that he's been presented with over a decade in professional baseball. He was drafted in 08, right after the Mitchell report made, uh, made amateurs, uh, eligible for testing or, or major league baseball instituted testing for the top 200 amateur prospects. So he, he's been tested for marijuana a lot over his uh, professional career. And until 2018, just after he was done, uh, in, in the majors, it was, uh, it was the case that major leaguers were tested were not tested for marijuana and minor leaguers were. Right. So after his first positive test, he couldn't smoke anymore because he was going to be suspended. And so he tried a bunch of other drugs. He tried synthetic marijuana, which proved to be terrible for him oh. and for a lot of other people. Um, yeah, he detailed the experiences he had visiting emergency rooms, coughing up lag tar. Uh, he turned to alcohol when he turned 21. Uh, he, he tried some of the, the drugs that were prescribed to him. He, you know, this guy had two Tommy John surgeries, two significant back surgeries. Uh, other other arm and back stuff, a big ankle injury. He also had a couple crazy accidents in his personal life where he saw a Air Force vet die on his windshield in front of him in a car accident. Uh, and he, you know, he had a lot of pain and a lot of trauma. And he uh, tried to treat it as best as he could while while you know retaining the talent that he had. You know, this this guy was at one point. Um, I think I have in the story that he was on a on a prospect list. You could probably speak to this kid. He was. Uh, he was listed right in front of Hosmer and Myers, if I yeah, remember. Yeah, he was right you know. there. One of the, the that Royals have the best system in baseball, and you talked about all these players, and you did talk about like Hires and Musakis and, and Myers, and he was the pitcher you talk about. It was John Lamb. He had good stuff and good command. Yeah, and uh, and he had a crazy season to get to that at, at nineteen. And it turns out he was using uh, synthetic marijuana for every before every game because that's what allowed him to both remain not suspended and to uh, to to pitch comfortably enough, but you know, he kept needing more and more and more and it got really bad. And, uh, you know, he's now out of baseball trying to find his way back in, but, uh, he's still battling the, uh, I think maybe the, he, he, he's under the impression that some, some of the sport is not going to open, uh, is not going to be open to him in, uh, with, uh, with his habits. And so it's a, it's a tough challenge. You know, it's, it's gotten better at least in, in baseball that they are now not subjecting minor leaguers to tests, but it's, you know, right. you can't overlook this decade that uh, some people like him and not just him were subjected to like a, you know, a very clear uh, double standard. Well, Pedro, we've taken more than enough of your time. I want to thank you for coming on. If you want to uh, read Pedro's stuff, you head over to the athletic. If you want to follow Pedro on Twitter where he doesn't tweet a lot, it's uh, Pedro Mora, Pedro, M-O-U-R-A. And Pedro, thank you so much for being the first guest on the first episode of Chid Music. Uh, I'm, I'm so honored, guys. This was fun. Thank you. And that's a, a very appropriate uh, advertisement for my Twitter account. Thanks, guys. <laughs> Thanks for coming. Thanks, Pedro. Comfort
welcome back, and thanks again to Adrian Mora for joining us. The tunes you are listening to in between segments come from Teenage Halloween. They're a fun band on Don Giovanni Records who often provide us music in the old podcast world, and they're going to continue to do some stuff for us in this iteration. Uh, they are a fun band from Asbury Park, New Jersey. There is a far more famous but inferior musician from there. Um, the, uh, Teenage Halloween is self-described as flaming queer power pop. Uh, this is their newest collection of songs. It's on their self-titled LP on Don Giovanni Records. Uh, they are predominantly a queer-identifying band, and the songs reflect this experience in their lyrics that grapple with vulnerability, community, extreme existentialism, mental illness, and gender euphoria. And at the same time, you can tap your toes to it. So uh, thanks to them. Check them out at Teenage Halloween. Just Google Teenage Halloween and you'll find them. Or just go to Don Giovanni Records. You can go download their music and buy it. They are a lot of fun. Uh, David. Yes. Let's talk about you for a while. Oh, finally. <laughs> What's going on at Defector Media? We're doing okay. We are, uh, I don't remember how far along, but maybe going on six months at this point, but uh, it is viable. Um, I don't presume that everybody listening to this knows the story, but basically uh, in on October, uh, Halloween of... Uh, 2019. That's why we had him as the musical guy. Yeah, I like it. All right. We were all, uh, this is really more kind of like aging blogger Halloween experience, but it's different. Uh, also, not a very danceable experience, as I recall. Uh, the Everybody that I worked with at Deadspin at that time uh, quit. And just because it was untenable for us to continue working with the Because the new owner was an asshole. New owner was an asshole, and it was getting impossible to do the site, and it was just a matter of either choosing to sort of stay there and wait for more bad things to happen and eventually get sacked or to just sort of go out on our own. Uh, and there were times when financially uh, that decision seemed questionable afterwards, but it uh, eventually wound up working out. We started a site together. It's a subscription site called Defector, and it's like most of us uh, that left. Some people, you know, got jobs immediately, and yeah. it's really don't begrudge anybody that. Uh, but yeah, we're back doing what we do, and uh, like I'm back doing a podcast with Drew McGarry. We're doing that through uh, Stitcher called The Distraction, and we are doing sort of the types of blogs that we used to do before, although it's different. We don't have to sort of hunt for clicks anymore because people are paying to read it. So that's good. Uh, there's been fewer like, you know, man hit in dick and balls with football <laughs> posts. And like, and honestly, there's a part of me that's like, I kind of feel like we should uh, step our game up on that to a certain extent. But right. it's, you know, there's a lot, the same sort of mix of like decently serious sports stuff and extremely stupid non-sports stuff and, you know, whatever else is kind of tickling our fancies. Uh, so it's been fun to do, and we have gotten enough subscribers that, like, I'm making a, a proper wage, uh, and I own part of the company, as do all of us. And it's the first time, I think, in my entire life of getting paid to write and do podcasts and all of that shit. It's the first time that I've not felt like I was, you know, 10 months from a layoff. So that part of it is great. Um, you know, writing about sports during the shittiest year of everybody's lives is kind of, uh, you know, challenging, obviously, but like there's way harder things I could be doing. Yeah, sure. Um, and one of the things I think baseball people know you for is the remember some guys stuff. Yeah. Um, uh, the, the brand that built me. <laughs> can you talk about where that came from? Cause I, I, 
I've read this once. I've never talked to you about it. You once wrote the back of Top Baseball Cards? Yeah, I did. I worked at Tops for a couple, almost two years, uh, just doing like very low level editorial stuff in my late 20s. And it was it was a fun job. I mean, like I I like the people I worked with. Uh, and were you going to an office every day? Yeah, man. The office was at the very bottom of Manhattan on, mm-hmm. uh, on Whitehall Street. And it was like, so most of the guys I worked with lived on Staten Island and they just took the ferry to work every day. So it was like a really, an unusual sort of workplace. It was not like a media workplace. Right. Uh, but it was like, it was fun. We were making baseball cards, you know, like every now and then like Johnny Damon would like get lost in the office and you'd tell him where the bathroom is, you know, like it was pretty tight for, I'd never worked a better <laughs> job until then. And after I left, I started uh, freelancing the card backs uh, for the guy that was a man named Bruce Herman writes basically every baseball card that you read uh, that Topps does. Like he's, I, he has said to me like in jest, but factually that he is like the most published author on baseball, like in America, like right, right, right. whatever, 700 subjects per set uh, times however many products they're doing. Uh, but I, I did some stuff with him. I worked on a, a few products like writing card backs, which was a, like a really cool thing to do as somebody that grew up collecting it. And then, you know, like, and then I got other jobs and uh, it was like a long road before I was getting paid to do sports writing stuff. And then even, you know, when I got to Deadspin, the Remember Some Guys idea was originally just like Tom Lay and Sammer on like Facebook Live, which was, this was a period of time where every media concern like mandated that people needed to be on Facebook Live, even though nobody watched it or liked it. (laughs) But they were like, this is, it's the future. Like, like, and so they would just go on there and they didn't even open packs of cards at that point. They were just kind of sitting there and like talking about, like they'd be like, do you remember, uh, remember Brad Hop? And like Sammer would be like, yeah. Yeah, Rocky. That was wild. And that was like the whole thing. So, so it basically started as like a protest against the idea of mandated content. And then when, when I got there, the video team, a very talented Kieran and Jorge of that's been had an idea for basically like doing it as a sort of a video series where we would open a pack of cards and somebody would host and somebody would remember and you know you hold up a card and you're like do you remember uh ryan spielborgs mm-hmm. and then you know the person would say yes or no yeah. and i was lucky that you know the cards from when i was a kid were like the most overproduced products in the history of of that industry the but 90s. also yeah but also maybe any industry that it was like there was a boom in cards at that point uh that was basically driven by people realizing that like you know the 55 mantle that they had was very valuable and somehow the way that that was read by the industry and it was valuable because a lot of people's parents threw those cards out if they right. ever had There's them in the scarcity. first place yeah and they were old right and scarcity is is basically the whole thing that drives the market uh the response to that in the 90s was like let's do the opposite of whatever scarcity is and make uh like 1000 card sets and then print hundreds of thousands of versions of it so that like basically like a Jim Lindemann Donruss card from like 1991 is like probably the single most common item in the world <laughs> at the time that that comes out and that like so those sets, which I collected and, you know, still sort of have lying around in my childhood bedroom, not because I think they're going to appreciate in value, but because I, I don't live there anymore. And my parents don't like to throw things out. Those were the packs we were opening. And 
I remembered a lot of the guys and the vibe that Kieran and Jorge created with the editing was very silly and, and kind of fun. And it was, you know, great fun to do. Like I got to sort of bond with my coworkers over this dumb thing that I care about. Sure. And I think like other people, especially people that had so many of those cards, like, I mean, I was a big baseball fan at that age, but you couldn't watch games the way that you can watch games now. You know, that you could, there were postseason games and there were local games. And sometimes you didn't really even have access to all the local games because teams had sort of like, were starting to do these cable channels. I didn't have cable for a lot of my youth. And in all those instances, it was like the way that I knew of the world of baseball was like through getting a card of a guy and looking at the stats on the back and being like, is this person good? Should I know them? Could I get a friend to trade me a guy that I like more in exchange for this? And that was, I mean, you know, fundamental to me, like, not just like caring about the game, but I think sort of appreciating the varied types of, of people that play it and the backgrounds of the people that play it. And I don't know, I I think it was a, a more valuable thing for me than I can say earnestly without making fun of myself. So I'll leave it there. Yeah, but funny, I think but it, I, it meant I, something to me. I, I thought about you a lot during my time with the Astros because there's no... I got to experience Let's Remember Some Guys live. Yeah, in IRL. In IRL, and especially at the minor league level, where the, like, the coaches and the managers are just absolutely silly with them. And I remember, like my it was my, it was my first year of spring training in 2013, and going to the backfields, and like within seven minutes, I had talked to Tom Lawless. Hell yeah. Mark Bailey, he's ex catcher with the Astros. Yeah, I remember. I remember his eighty five tops card. <laughs> okay, still have curly uh, hair. Yep. Yeah. He's, nice. He's All right. Bald, he's bald now. He's a catching instructor. Uh, Adam Everett, a king. Uh, Leon Roberts, who might be before you, so he's played about a decade in the big leagues as an outfielder in, the, in like the from maybe the mid seventies to the mid eighties. So that's not Bip Roberts. That's no, Leon. All this right, is Leon, think... not Leon Bip Roberts. This is Leon Roberts. Okay, uh, Caucasian gentleman. I think and, I remember. Um, Leon Roberts, because I think during we did a Let's Remember Some Guys episode where a guy named Jeff Katz, who was literally the mayor of Cooperstown and is also a <laughs> baseball historian, wrote a book about the 81 the split season uh, that they had during that year. And he was like, I, this was not to promote the book. He was just like a guy uh, yeah, yeah, yeah. who knew the thing. And he like emailed me and he'd written for me advice. He's a good writer. I was like, hey, do you want me to bring a box of uh, 81 Fleer down and we can open them on set? And I was like, yes, I do. And he had the recall of 81 guys that I have for, like, 94 guys. Right. And But I think he was, like, I remember him, like, knowledging me on, like, Gene Richards. And I probably <laughs> sure, did sure. Leon, Leon Roberts in there, too. Gene Richards, first base for the Padres, choked up on the bat. Yep. yep. But he was basically, he was like, nobody understands how good Gene Richards was. Like, you <laughs> had to have seen him. And it was, like, <laughs> but it was like talking to Dave McKenna about, like, you know, whatever, seeing, like, a fog hat show in, like, 1972. <laughs> It was like, it was such a heavy sound. Like, I loved it. It was great to me. <laughs> and so it was just always amazing. And I had my ultimate Let's Remember Some Guys moment uh, last year. And so, like, I, look, I'm not going to lie. Obviously, the last year was absolute shit show. Yeah. Not fun. Um, but I also had a lot of fun. And, like, you know, weird things happened. I just kind of go, yeah, of course that happened. Now, like, you know, I... 
sat in a golf cart with Nolan Ryan watching our young pitchers. You know, I've, yeah. I've watched games with Craig Biggio, like these huge names. And I always just kind of said, well, this is just, this is cool. This is also just how the business is, keeping it cool, right? Say cool, like, well, this is fine, do your job. And never really got um, fanboyish, if you will, right? Yeah. Stayed professional. You got to. So uh, in the well, late you 90s. You have to. I don't really have to do that. Thanks. I'm about you know to not. So in the late, <laughs> in the late 90s. Like my first, and before I, I wasn't even in the media yet. I was doing some like some some consulting with sports media companies as far as internet stuff goes. Um, but my first prospect crush, I told this story on, on Goldman's podcast as well. But it's mm-hmm. it's one of my favorite stories, and it, it definitely is a remember some guys moment. My first prospect crush was a second baseman in the Mariners system in the late nineties called Archimedes Pozo. What a name, gee whiz! And Archimedes that's Pozo, like Thomas Pynchon shit. Oh, exactly. A, it's a great name. His name's Archimedes Pozo. And uh, he had a great year in the Cal League, um, could really hit. Uh, he actually got like 100 or so big league plate appearances and didn't hit enough. And he could only really play second base. And, and, and that's that. Like you learn later, yeah. like you can't, you can't be a backup second baseman. You've got to be able to play on the left side if you're going to be a utility player. So if you're a second baseman, you got to play every day or you're dead in the water. And he, couldn't, he wasn't good enough to play every day, but he was my first prospect crush, right? Archimedes Pozo. So last year... I am in the Dominican Republic at our complex, the Houston Astros complex, and and uh, a bunch of people have flown in to watch a, a, a large number of players that the local area scouts like that were you know we're going to come in and cross check and make some signing decisions, right? And so on the mound is this kind of little lefty uh, with 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 good arm strength, like he's got a little bit of velo, he's got feel for a curveball, he's kind of interesting. And I, and I lean into the area scout uh, from Venezuela, and I go, oh, tell me about this guy. Like, How many times have you seen this guy? And he starts telling me about the guy, and, and I'm like, I kind of like these guys. He's like, yeah, I do too. And I said, and I just said, I said, who's he got? As in, who's representing him? Who's his Buscone? Who's his agent we got to deal with if you want to sign him, right? And he goes, oh, it's Archimedes Pozo. Like, I know him. I mean, wait, no, I don't. And <laughs> like, that's... And I went, and I went, you got to be kidding me. And he goes, no, it's Archimedes Pozo. And then he follows that up with, he's right over there. <laughs> What's great about this is that you were maybe the first person to experience the sensation of being starstruck by Archimedes Pozo. <laughs> right, exactly. And so obviously, you know, you work in professional baseball, you sign all sorts of shit saying like, you can never ask for autographs. You can't be a fanboy. You sign shit saying you can't be a fanboy, basically, mm-hmm. right? And my first reaction, it took a, like 0.3 seconds. I just I looked at the area scout. I said, you got to take my picture with Archimedes Pozo. <laughs> <laughs> He's like, what? I, I, I can't even explain. I love Archimedes Pozo. You, you got to introduce me to Archimedes Pozo. <laughs> and like, we went over there, talked to him. He didn't speak a lot of, a lot of English, which is fine because I don't speak a lot of Spanish. Um, and I, and I, I'll, I'll text it to you. And I got my, I got my photo with, with our, were you able to communicate like just a little bit? Yeah. He knew I I told him I loved him as a player and he said, thank you. Super friendly, super nice guy. Um, and, and I got my photo with Archimedes Pozo and it is one of my career highlights. Yeah. I'm glad that you didn't have a sort of like never meet your idols experience. No, and I've had those. Yeah. I, I, I definitely had my share of those, but my Archimedes Pozo experience was fantastic. That's really a beautiful story man that's great like it'd be good if it was someone who wasn't named Archimedes Pozo but Mm -hmm. I I would be lying if I told you that didn't add significant value yeah it's definitely part of it it's definitely part of it um so uh, what are you working on these days what's coming out what's coming up uh I'm 
writing, you know, like I had been more in a political lane for a while just because everything was politics for a few months. And, you know, that was good to, to write, I guess, in the sense that like I, I used it to sort of clear the grease trap in my mind and allow other thoughts to flow freely. But I've, I've been doing a little bit less of that and I'm trying to, you know, find a way through to some more sports stuff. I've been kind of nibbling at something involving the uh, sort of strange climbing uh, chief executive for the Houston Texans. But I, for the most part, I'm, I'm sort of trying to remember how to write about sports. I mean, I had done, you know, when things were happening, I was able to write about it. But something about the uh, the last few months and just sort of the uncertainty and the violence and the ugliness of, you know, our po political culture and then also the fact that there's a, you know, as you know, a fucking plague on has made it hard to uh, sort of get into that that part of my brain, which is basically just about appreciating and enjoying and being intrigued by sports. Right. And so much of this offseason has been, for baseball, to me has just been, uh, you know, enervating and, and kind of depressing in the way the previous ones were, that there's just this sense of uh, battle lines being drawn and, and teams making conscious moves in retrograde to see how much worse they can get and still compete for an ex expended playoffs or whatever. <laughs> and it's just like, it's, it's grim. So I'm trying to, to get my, uh, my sort of joy back in that regard. But you, you yeah. talked about how you, you spent a lot, a lot of the last year you wrote a ton of political stuff. Yes. Um, and it was all, I thought, not to wax your car, but I think you're incredible when you write about that stuff. And, Thank you. And, and insightful and exceptionally funny. I um, appreciate it. Do you find, I mean, you talked about clearing the grease trap. Like, did you find writing that stuff was cathartic? Or did you find that writing about your frustrations about the world around us, like, added to your anger? Or did both happen? Yeah, I think it's an, probably the the most annoying answer, but both. I mean that it was it was cathartic in the sense that, you know, I, I I was aware that like there was no way that I was going to write a blog post that was going to change any of the things that I wanted to have changed. You know, like I I knew that emotionally, I knew that. Yeah. Um, but it's still a hard thing to sort of you know be experiencing uh, this sort of anger that, you know, the injustice and, and ugliness and sort of compromised uh, function of the country that we live in uh, brings about in somebody. It's hard to sort of think straight or to, to be your best self or, you know, really to even like sort of find something that you want to share with other people when you're feeling like that. And so, you know, writing did help me sort of organize that anger into a way that was, you know, that made sense and that also sort of allowed me to organize thoughts uh, that were otherwise, you know, chaotic in my head and, you know, and in my emotional sort of experience. And so that part of it was good. I'd say that like the best times that I had or the times where I felt sort of the strongest and the most capable were when I was like actually writing those mm -hmm. things and it would be you know hours or days of like trying to get my shit organized and get myself hyped up to do it 
And it was, you know, I'm sure it was annoying for my editors. It was annoying for me. Like, I, I couldn't really just get the engine to turn over sometimes. But I mean, you, can't, you can't go into it saying, I'll tell you what, someone who went to that insurrection, they're going to read this and they're going to go, hmm, maybe I was wrong. I mean, I think that I, I knew that that wasn't going to happen. And I think that, like, yet, like, the way that, in terms of writing about it, I, I felt like I needed to do it because I needed to understand how I actually felt about it. You know, beyond being sort of disgusted or angry or aghast or, you know, whatever the, the sort of off the rack responses that that you would have to something that chaotic. I think the thing that I wanted, I guess, or that I've been able to like accept as an accomplishment of those stories is that like in organizing those thoughts and in like sort of presenting it or at least like saying what I thought I was seeing that like I helped myself understand it and it provided a framework that was you know there alongside you know the other people that wrote about this stuff that could be used as sort of like a way to pick out a through line in the the tumult of the thing itself and I don't think I was necessarily right more often than other people or more even more often than not i think that it was just the sort of thing where like given how the these last years have felt for me that like just being able to see a lane and to see like a way forward like helped um and even if it was the sort of thing where like you know i i was wrong about a lot of the things that i was optimistic about i mean i think that like what's broken is way more stubborn than I probably gave it credit for being mm -hmm, even. Mm -hmm. And, you know, and I was never assuming that it would be easily toppled by being named and shamed or even by getting out in the streets <laughs> or whatever. But in that regard, like, I don't know, like thinking about it as opposed to just feeling about it sort of helped. And mm -hmm, mm -hmm. that like, I mean, I think that like, that's something that I'm trying to bring to my sort of writing in general with this, especially because like, I don't know more about baseball than, than other people. Like I know a decent amount for like somebody who reads a lot and watches games and is a fan, but it's not like, I'm not professional grade with my insights and I don't scout and I don't know a lot of that, but it's the same sort of thing where like, if you are able to like, look at the things that are happening and be like, I think that this is what it is. And then you can say it and get it out. Then like, I think that's helpful because there's, there aren't really a lot of people whose job it is to do that anymore. You know, that like the, that sort of like part of the internet that used to exist that like Defector is to a certain extent trying to replace right. is like outside of the, you know, there's people that break stories and, you know, there's people that cover teams. And so there's beats and there's columnists and then there are, you know, feature writers and stuff, but like, the overall state of play of it, especially for somebody who's, you know, closer plugged in and depends upon credentials and access in a way that I don't, that like, it's possible to look at this and be like, all right, this offseason is really messed up and is messed up in the same way as the previous offseasons have been. Here's why I think that is or whatever. Like, I think that that's not, it's not the most valuable thing. Uh, and it's certainly the easiest to do, you know, with your feet up at home. But I think that like that, that sort of approach to something that is otherwise sort of presented as unknowable or is presented as inevitable. Like that's, I guess, like the, the space that I can find to like sort of run in.
And uh, I, I mean, obviously, I you know, despite what some people might, our problems are not over with the election being done. Oh, of course. Um, I mean, do you do you find your desire to write about politics have lessened now that it's not this sharp stick in your eye every day? I think to a certain extent, you know, like a lot of what I, I mean, writing about politics is like kind of a nice way of saying that I mostly wrote about Trump for years. You know, I, not for, I mean, more frequently, you know, after I left Deadspin and that was the, the paying work I could get. You know, there was right. fewer, I wrote a few things for BP and I love doing it, but like that's not how I was paying the rent. And the idea of like politics being Trump, like just being synonymous with it and synonymous with like, not just like what his policies are because those barely existed and not just about like what his goals were because those goals were always just to have more of whatever he had and to get as much of it from other people as he could, you know, which is the story of his fucking stupid life. <laughs> that on top of that, like the, at this point, like, he's not gone, you know, like he's off Twitter and that's nice and you don't have to think about him as much and that yeah. is extremely nice. Like, I mean, it's like embarrassing what a relief that actually has been for me. But the idea of like politics is a series of just like stunts and pranks and grievances and sort of like that exists in parallel to all of the problems of, you know, governance that we have and that we are experiencing every day, some people in some places more urgently than others, that like, that is, is Trump. It's what, it's not what he didn't invent it. I mean, he's symptomatic of it. It's like the sort of thing where like he's, if our politics was working right, he never would have been able to sniff a nomination, let alone be the president and still be, I think, you know, one of the more powerful right. he's figures in the He's culture. an effect more than a cause. Yes. And, Exactly. And I think that, like, to me, like, I'm still puzzled and, like, horrified enough by politics that I'm going to want to write about it. Mm -hmm. It's just that, like, it's very stupid, Kevin. Like, all of it is very <laughs> dumb. This is all exceptionally dumb. And it's hard to sort of find ways to write about it. Like, if it was the sort of thing where you could say, like, and again, this is another area where I guess I'm lucky because I don't really know very much about policy. Like, you're not any more than, you know, what a hobbyist and a, a reader would know but like this isn't about policy you know that like marjorie taylor green or whatever is after like tv hits and mindshare and like retweets you know it's not like she doesn't have a policy goal that she's trying to advance no like, it's, not all, gonna... it's all part of the grift like she's yeah gonna, it's about being famous and i think that that's like the the part of it that like is kind of fascinating to me and like horrific is that like at this point like you know liberal politics it still has some vestigial, like Democrat politics, has some vestigial like policy element to it. Although it's so compromised by the theater of yeah. the role that they've chosen for themselves, you know, which is basically being like the reasonable party <laughs> that is constantly <laughs> looking to make a deal. That like, right, the refer know, they're the referees. Yeah, that like they want half a loaf, but they're willing to settle for a quarter, and then they're going to pat themselves on the back and be like, "Isn't bread amazing? Uh, don't <laughs> eat too much of it." Uh, and in this case, like, you know, the Republican Party seems completely cut free from any of that, that like they're, you know, Trump didn't have a platform in 2020. It was that we're going to continue pushing the Make America Great agenda. That was the full stop. Mm -hmm. And the idea of like the stuff that they seem to be running on now, 
you know, the idea of being like we're standing athwart cancel culture yelling, uh, you have no idea how bad this looks or whatever. That, right. like, that That is like, how do you square that with the utter failure of governance over the last, I mean, not just over the, the time of COVID, but I mean, as you and I are talking, people are freezing to death in fucking Texas, yeah, which is like our ultimate one party state. And I've been in tons of, I've been very you know, in touch with a lot of people who I used to work with who are there and, and don't have power and they have pipes cracking and they're on their fourth day of this. And it's just unbelievable. Yeah. And the idea that like the response to that, which it mostly has been, has been, you know, from the party that theoretically is like governing and could be doing things about this. I mean, certainly they that is in power, that the response to that is to like, tweet stock photos of steaks at Bill Gates because right. think it's going to make him mad and talk about and like just like kind of do some like dimly remembered Trump riff about how like windmills are unreliable and right. also effeminate that like any of that is like I want to believe that there is accountability for that kind of failure and for that kind of abdication and I think that like that's the real the thing that like puzzles me that I, I sort of want to write about but also like that I'm mostly just staring at, you know, in horror, is that like, what if none of that even works anymore? Like, that's the part of it that, that it's a really, little scarier, that. that troubles me, right? The idea that like, that the polarization of it is not just, you know, that it's so extreme that like, it doesn't matter if you do your job well or poorly, it's just a matter of like, what letter you have next to your name. Like, that's yes. a little bit bad, but then also like, what if like just the basic function of all of this has atrophied such that like the grid doesn't work because no one's improved it in 100 years like that to me seems like and they for on principle yes you know that like all of that is like scarier and i think that that's like as you were saying like not only is none of this fixed i mean like the last four years were time spent ignoring that just as you know to be honest as the previous four years before that more or less were previous eight you know, that like the actual work of this is, is really not begun yet. And that's a scary thing to sort of consider. Uh, that's part of why I want to be writing about sports more is that like I can't think about this all the time. You actually want to have some fun. Yeah. Um, Which, you know, it, it's out there. Like, not yet. Yeah, like, as we, we said, like, we're still in the part where it's, it's pitchers stretching in the outfield. But yeah. like, it's, it's why that feels like such a, you know, like a load bearing thing at this point like to be like vital um can we do a little talk about fun for a second real yes, quick please. i'm gonna put you on the spot time for a moment of culture all right um and, you know think about a, a a a film or a tv show or a thing you listen to or a book or whatever that you that you like and would like to recommend in recent times well we've already talked about the netflix reality show about glass blowing and i talked about uh non-us versions of love island so do you mean, is that too highfalutin? You want me to pick something that, like, is more for the people? Oh, we can just talk <laughs> about that crap if you want. No, I'm joking. That's not what it is. Obviously, I've been consuming a lot of garbo during yeah. the quarantine like everybody else. Um, I am mostly a, a TV agnostic or whatever. Like, I guess at the very least, like, peak TV hasn't really hit for me. But I've watched two really extraordinary series, uh, short series um, during the the quarantine that I've found myself thinking about a lot. Um, okay. The first is uh, Lodge 49, which is was 
on, I'm forgetting what it was. I want to say it wasn't FX, so A&E possibly? Mm-hmm. I don't even remember. It's embarrassing. You can find I not, it. I have not seen this. You can find it on streaming services. So basically, it's like if you were to take Charles Portis's Masters of Atlantis, set it in Long Beach, and also kind of lend a uh, like a big Lebowski sort of vibe to the proceedings. It is about an like sort of a I, like a, the Elks Club. What is it? What do you call an organization like that? A fraternal, uh, fraternal order? organization. Yeah, in fraternal this case, order, it's yeah. like it's not only men, but yeah, like something like that. So like a, a version of that that exists in Long Beach that is also maybe uh, legitimately uh, involved with alchemy, but also is just sort of like the center of a community of people in kind of like a, a falling apart sort of uh, city and society and economy. And it is very funny, very beautifully made, incredibly good music, all like a 60s and 70s, like kind of psych and surf stuff. Oh, nice. And it is, like, just not like anything else I've ever seen. Uh, and I can't recommend it highly enough. Like, I I feel like I'm a broken record on it. Like, everywhere I get a chance to, to bring it up, I bring it up. Um, I, need to, and, I need to find where it's streaming, and I will watch it. Yeah, it's terrific. And then also uh, Patriot, which was on Amazon. I heard Prime. good things about that and also have not seen that. So Patriot, the first season of it is perfect, and it's as good as anything I've ever seen. The second season is way more more alturist the the guy that uh you know created the series wrote and directed every episode and it's just not nearly as good it ends strongly but it is way more arch and like kind of twee and like wes andersony the first season of it is to me like remarkable shit and that is about uh you know basically the way that america and it's sort of like self-conception and it's foreign policy uh, sort of harms the rest of the world. But, but it's, it's funny, all, right? It's super funny. Okay, yeah. Super okay. funny, super well acted. Uh, and like really, it's got good music in it too. But in some cases, like the main character is kind of a troubled uh, like intelligence services person is also like a, a folk singer who does like, for <laughs> lack of a better word, like weird like sun kill moon type songs about his life. <laughs> and it's... It's fantastic. Again, like totally distinctive. I don't want to give away too much of it. So like, you know, I've read some good books and I've uh, seen some movies. Finally, uh, I've determined that the way to get my wife to watch movies is basically they have to involve a heist of some kind, which is Mm. good because I like that type of movie too. But yeah, those two TV series have been, um, they're good. And they're good in a way that like you won't rush through them. Like there's fewer good things coming out than, you know, you would like. So, like, yeah. they can be rationed responsibly. Yeah, we've had a problem, like, here in this household where we kind of run out of television at times. Mm-hmm. Like, oh, our show, we, we finished that show, and I don't know where to start now, but I have, now I have two things. But uh, the first thing I want to recommend is a, is a movie that is on Hulu, so you can watch it at home. Um, it's called, have you seen this? It's called In and of Itself. No, but I read about it, uh, and it's supposed to be excellent. Yeah, so it was like it was like you know people were tweeting about it that people I like and 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 uh, people I like who I assume have good taste in things, and so um, this I'm going to say this, and you're going to go, this isn't for me, and and I, w- I would have the same reaction. Uh, it's a one man show by a magician. I honestly like it's embarrassing how much that actually is for me. Yeah, so, and I would go. Yeah, I'm a subject for another. Like that's yeah. definitely like a thing that happens quarterly is that i'll find myself uh, without anything to watch or anything to write just watching like ricky j videos late oh, at night so it's, it's okay if you like ricky j or kind of like that more dark edgy world you're, you're, you'll definitely like this but this 
Um, Tom Sharpling on The Best Show described it like, if you really like magic, but what's missing from it for you is that you don't walk away feeling depressed, this is for you. <laughs> and um, so uh, it, it's, it is on the surface a magic show, but it's a series of stories about really humanity. And it's actually like super touching, cried at the end kind of thing. Wow. Um, really, really liked it. Don't want to give too much away. There's 8 million surprises in it. It's incredibly well done. Um, really impressive. And then our garbage TV show of late, and it's on Amazon Prime, is we've been watching That Girl. Oh, so do you like that? I've actually, Kate's been into some of the other, like, CW, DC crossover things, and I think they're generally, like, pretty solid. Yes, this is the the late 60s, early 70s Marlo Thomas vehicle. Oh, even better. Oh, so it's not the one with the woman from Orange is the New Black. No, no, this is the original That Girl. Oh, my gosh. All right. Oh, you're saying That Girl. That Girl. I thought you were saying Bat Girl. No, no, that girl. Better. You're very polite not to correct me when you're like, technically, that girl is not a part of the DC cinematic universe. That's okay. I don't. All right, go on. I don't know anything about comic books. Um, So that girl. Big part of my youth because of the free to be you and me and stuff. But the. Yeah, absolutely. I know very little about the show. Is it? It's funny. No, it's horrible. It's it's it's, (laughs) funny. No, it's not funny at all. Um, Quite the contrary. Absolutely not. It stinks. You should watch it. and Marla Thomas plays this uh, uh, girl, woman in her in her late twenties, who moves from um, not upstate New York, but more like the suburbs of New York City, into the city itself to pursue her acting dreams. She has a boyfriend, and every plot has something to do with either her boyfriend or her father thinking she's going to lose her virginity to someone else, in some sort of mixed up way. <laughs> and hijinks ensue. Like it's always about. Like some guy showing interest and, and either her existing boyfriend, Don, or her father getting upset about it. It's the sum of it's the, it's the, the base of every single episode. Like it's anytime a, it's a like, masculine panic comedy. It's a masculine panic comedy. Yeah, the last episode, very simple like you know, she's again struggling actress and she's in her uh, in her apartment with another actor, they're rehearsing a scene, and I just and, and they just start doing it and I like turned to my wife and said father's gonna come to the door and hear this and get mad and like 10 seconds later father's the door opens the door punches the actor guy wow the whole show is just about that it's absolutely horrible and we can't stop watching i like the idea that this is like you're basically describing the same gags as three's company but somehow less enlightened really exactly so it doesn't have like the hip uh sexual revolution vibe of, of three's company um it lacks no the one, social consciousness yeah no one's pretending no, one's, company. no one's pretending to be a homosexual to live with two girls but that's not existing <laughs> um and there's no what was the lounge in three's company Where oh Larry uh the the regal beagle the regal beagle there's that's, no regal beagle well, I don't, that was right at the fucking tip of my tongue so <laughs> as it should be yeah, should not no, put this in the final version of the podcast <laughs> oh, we can edit that out there is no regal beagle um so i i've taken away too much of your time dave yeah i mean this is it's obviously uh, clear that we've reached the very bottom of my brain. <laughs> the regal beagle. Reference. Yeah, that's it. There's nothing. <laughs> everything after this is going to be way worse. Um, I, I can't thank you enough for for be for doing the first episode. Man, I'm happy me. to do it. Like, I'm really the, glad you're podcasting again. The second I st- I wanted to do this, I was like, man, it'd be great if David Roth could do an episode. And to get you on the first one is 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 a thrill for me. And I I, I can't thank you enough, man. I'm touched that you would say all that, but mostly I'm just glad you're doing them. Keep doing them, please. I will keep doing them. Um, they'll be when I have a co-host next week. And I have an ex-ball player. I remember some guy as my co-host next week. Oh, wow. Can, uh, um, well, yeah, don't give it away. I'm not going to give it away. All right. um, but, is, but, it, is it Archimedes Pozo? Uh, God, I, 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 
maybe episode like 34. Oh, you think I'll, I could get I'll, Pozo? This is just I'll, the second episode. Oh, yeah. I, I'm, not, I'm not ready for Pozo. <laughs> I wonder if, because Pozo's now an agent for a national Pozo. I wonder if he's his own agent. I could just, I mean, I guess I could contact that guy. I could get in touch with Dr. Mies Pozo if I want Yeah, to. I'm not in the I can get you a business. toe. Give, it, um, <laughs> give me three hours. I'll get, get you a photo of myself with Archimedes Pozo. Exactly. I'm texting you my photo. I might, <laughs> put, I'm gonna put the, I might put the photo of me with Archimedes Pozo on the page for this show. I think it's the right, sets the tone. Exactly. Anyway, so, thanks, dude. <laughs> Yeah, thanks for coming on. Thanks, everyone, for listening. Thanks uh, to Teenage Halloween and Don Giovanni Records for providing the tunes. And uh, we'll see you next week. I pass the gas station. My thoughts all seem to rhyme. Existential, I'll take it. My urges are all fucked this time. Lay down on the mattress. Mirror circle. Stuck and frozen How do we just turn